Welcome to the Real Messy Podcast, where we have real messy conversations that occur in education. This is Shana Piggott from Grays Lake Central High School, and I'm here with my co-host, Jennifer Nace. Hi, everyone. And Rachel Lisinski. Hello. And our guest host today is Melissa Thurlwell, English Department Chair for Grays Lake Central High School. Hi, everybody. Uh, at Grays Lake Central, our junior classes are finishing up their big research papers that they do in their English classes, and every level of junior English does this project. And we thought it would be nice time to kind of reflect on how students are interacting with the research process and learning information literacy skills. So we have our uh, literacy specialists here at our table. And so really what we want to know is why is information literacy so important for students to learn? Well, I think um, speaking to like my goals for like the school as the library media specialist here, I, I read it in an article that the survival skill of the information age is information literacy skills that truly for our kids who are being thrown out into this world where they're bombarded with information on their phone, on their computers every day, that this is truly going to be one of their main skills that they're going to need in order to navigate all aspects of their life. Um, and so in, when you think of it that way and in terms of how often they're interacting with information hundreds of times a day. It's it's just absolutely vital that we take some time in school to be teaching them how to do that responsibly, how to do it ethically. Um, you know what is good, what is not good, where to get good information, how to determine all those things. There's just so many facets to looking at that information um, that it's in my mind kind of imperative that we take the time to do it in in, in high school and younger, really. To your point, I think it's um, a perfect blend of the academic and soft skills that um, our students so desperately need. Um, they need to be critical thinkers. They need to be setting deadlines. They need to be thinking about pacing and revision, right? But they can't do any of those things if, you know, they haven't learned English for a few years and can blend quotes and can synthesize materials. So I just think it hits both of those academic and soft skills in a really unique way. Absolutely, because there's also a part of it where um, if kids don't know that things that are informational or things that are considered nonfiction, they still have a bias. They still have a point of view. Mm -hmm. There are certain documents that that author has read and studied and brought those together in his or her own unique way. And so if they don't know that extra step of dig a little deeper, everything has layers, everything has people behind it, then they don't. They just think, oh, well, this is fact because I found it and someone wrote it and it's in a textbook mm -hmm. or it's on, you know, some website. It's good. Right. Well, and I think especially as a science teacher, you know, when you think about that, like if you want somebody to believe you just put the word scientist say, you know, in that mm -hmm. thing. And it's like, and, and I was talking with my son earlier because they just started studying world religions in their history class and, and kind of how they fit into world history. And I'm just thinking about that shift of like how religion used to play such a primary role in society. And now like we're watching that science start to kind of play this like kind of primary role mm -hmm. in like there's all these studies and this information and like we're, we're starting to kind of shift and with all the climate change and all these other things. And it's like there's just so much information out there, mm -hmm. but it's still people mm -hmm. that are putting that information out there and the pharmaceutical companies and right. like there's still 
like somebody's like motivation to get mm-hmm. it out there. It's not always just for the greater good of humanity right. that we and we need to be able to to shift through, shift and shift through all that information mm-hmm. to be able to decide like what's what's real and not real. And that's what makes, I think, looking at information literacy so complicated is that there's so many different facets you have to approach when you're looking at educating students. Because you'll have teachers who will say, I want my kids to find an article on whatever. Well, there's a lot of different points that you have to look at now. Not only how are they going to search for that information, um, where are they going to search for that information, but also like... Can they read that information? Exactly. Can they read it? But then also like... Can they evaluate it? Are they giving time to evaluate it? And there's so many different ways to evaluate it. Like, are you looking at just how it works in your classroom? Are you looking at how it works in the greater scheme of, like, that professional world? There's just so much that it's it seems unwielding at times for teachers to be able to approach it and be able to tackle it all. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes because of that, we tend to miss a lot of those steps because it seems too big to encompass and it's not specifically in so it's not necessarily someone's responsibility mm-hmm. does that make sense also i know mm-hmm. english yeah. obviously takes the brunt of it because um, it is history. in our standards mm-hmm. but at the same time like in history obviously mm-hmm. they do but it's it's not like there's a research class or an information literacy class where like that's where they're working on all those skills it's kind of assumed a lot of times that the kids are getting at other places well and i think to that point too like with english and, and history kind of having it in their standards it's also in the science standards mm-hmm. i was going through the next generation science standards and finding things that are talking about like evaluating questions and constructing explanations based on evidence and yeah. like analyzing major global global challenges and it's like the only way that you get access to that is if you're researching and you're and you're looking for that information so i don't think it's just for the english and history teachers where there's a lot of reading involved mm-hmm. i think there's a like it really fits into everybody's mm-hmm. coursework at, to some extent and then like how do we as like science teachers or math teachers or art teachers who haven't necessarily been trained to teach kids information literacy skills like I would have trouble assessing kids on their information literacy skills because that's not really where my education was like how can we still incorporate that into our classrooms I think the fact that you can though is the very reason why it is such a real world skill the fact that research is so applicable outside the English classroom science, world history, uh, math to some extent, right? I think that's what makes it such an exciting opportunity mm-hmm. for kids. They can also insert their own passions and excitements within a research project. And so back to the main question, you know, why should we teach it? Why is it important? There's a lot of choice involved when students are researching and when, when teachers are teaching research. It allows a lot of freedom. Um, and I think the fact that kids have an opportunity to to choose their topic can go a long way. And I just worry about the piece of it where, when you were saying, Jen, how it is unwieldy at times and it is overwhelming at times, I worry about the piece where we try to assess it so much or we try to structure it so much that we put all of these barriers in place, graphic organizers in place, Mm -hmm. I don't know, to try to get kids to the place where we think they should be with each document. But not every document lends itself to a huge piece of your paper. You know, like sometimes you read something and you're like, oh, that'll work really well for like this idea I have for my opening 
or, oh, this piece of research, I'm going to rely on this heavily because this really says a lot about a lot of different perspectives. So I think sometimes we try to overstructure in order to try to control some of that vastness. I think that's why some teachers avoid it altogether, though, is because it has so much choice associated with it and the kids could end up in all these different places. Like for some teachers, that loss of control in what the kids are doing moment to moment is really scary. And not having enough like practice and familiarity and confidence with it, like we tend to like choose things that are more structured and stay away from these, you know, potentially life-changing opportunities for kids to like really engage at that kind of flow level. Mm-hmm. Well, and to speak to that a little bit too, I mean, I think about some of those lower level classes in particular where students may struggle with those soft skills a little bit more, time management, mm-hmm. being able to persevere through a thicker project, you know, and those are the situations where how often are those kids ever given choice, mm-hmm. you know, and those are the situations where that project could be even more impactful But yet we do worry. We see teachers worrying about, well, you know, my students traditionally aren't going to be doing work outside of class. Or, you know, if I'm not, if I don't tell them exactly what to do, they're not going to know what step to take next. But again, we run the risk of of stifling that, that growth and that passion and that engagement that we could get from this kind of activity, which realistically is one of the most real activities kids do in high school. Well, why don't we engage in it? Like we were just talking about a lot of professional development opportunities, but why don't we ever come together as teachers and just try our own unit, like as professionals, experiencing the experience Mm -hmm. as a student? Well, not even just for research projects, but for everything we do, video projects, podcasting. Like, can can you imagine what it would be like to spend a week in your class? Like, how would how would that change you as a teacher thinking about if I had to sit in that desk and do these things for a week? Mm -hmm. How would I feel about my course? Right. I think um, when teachers over plan and I do it, too. Right. But when we put supports in place and when we give them you know, check boxes and deadlines. It's really well-intentioned. Like, we want our students to come along with us. We want to see them have a product at the end. Mm -hmm. And when you put something like a big research project out there, the thought of them getting lost a third or halfway through, it gives us all a lot of anxiety. We want our students to do well. We want them to learn. So I I see where teachers are coming from. Mm -hmm. I see how the formative assessments are really important. And I see that helping them read the articles before they even get started, perhaps even choosing them for students can be really beneficial. But I think you're right, Jen. I think, you know, we have a culture here where we can take risks. We should offer students risk opportunities too. Well, I think about, you know, I, I just got the chance, like I said, to work with all of these juniors in the last two months. We've gotten to see all of them kind of come through. And I remember having a conversation with one boy in particular, sweet kid. This was his first real go at like actual research. And I couldn't tell you exactly what his final topic ended up being. I didn't follow through with the whole thing. But when he started, he wanted, he was interested that he saw on Facebook a story about a 700 pound tuna that was caught in the pacific ocean like a fish like a fish the actual fish tuna he saw this and he's like did you hear about this and i said 
no way. I don't believe that. That has to be like Facebook fodder, right? Come on. So we spent a little bit of time after learning the different search techniques and he had looked at like what's a reliable website. He spent 20 minutes and he found two articles that were pretty valuable about this fish, which by the way, sold for $3 million, I think, or wow, million or it was a lot. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he, regardless of whether or not he ended up with that as his topic, that 20 minutes was productive time. Can we assess it? No. You know, like there was nothing in the grade book that showed that he spent that time doing that. Was it even productive towards his final product? You could argue not probably. I mean, unless he ended up using that tuna article. But at the same time, the skills that he learned in that 20 minutes, the experience, the fact that he was interested in something and got to follow through with it in an educated way, that's the kind of moments that I just wish we could have more of in school. Well, and the the fact that he probably got to the end of the road on the tuna article and said to himself, <laughs> this may not work, versus taking it to a teacher right. and a teacher saying, that won't work, yeah. right? Doing that digging for yourself, I think, can, can really open up doors as you proceed through the project. Well, yeah. and on a side note, he was interested in how... Um, what are we like mass producing GMOs and stuff like that yeah. and like you know are was this fish potentially something that was enhanced to make it that big that was the interesting area that he went down and it was like I said it was an educational experience for him so but the likelihood that that kid then took that information to the lunch table talked about it took it home to his parents talked about it like right. continued that conversation and that questioning like, this kid was questioning whether or not, like, genetic modifications caused that thing. Like, it got him taking information from one right. course, applying it to this other course, internal questioning mechanisms, like, inspiring others to think and question with that topic that he was interested in. Like, my husband last night was at Warren's open house, and because he's a teacher, and, the, like, one dad showed up out of this entire class. And the dad's like, were you guys talking about viruses the other day? And my husband's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, because he came home and then we ended up having this really great conversation about vaccines and viruses and whether or not they're alive and, you know, how like all the melting permafrost and whatever. And it's like if that topic hadn't come up and like that questioning hadn't come up and that kid went home and now had these meaningful conversations. I mean, like not only do those things matter for that project, but think about what are these kids doing when they leave their class? Do they forget about it and complain about it? Or do they continue that thinking when they leave and then share that thinking with others? And I think you're bringing up time, and that's a big one in an institution. Mm -hmm. I mean, the parameter of a unit, a day, a lesson. I mean, we talk about these teachable moments, and there's been research now about Vygotsky and the idea of scaffolding, and that he never intended the term scaffolding or any of what we think scaffolding is to be about leading students through a unit. He intended it to be about human growth on a whole, like the whole individual throughout his or her entire lifetime, not scaffolding a unit or a moment. And it was interesting in this article, it was just saying that like everything in teaching, we try to take it and make it concrete so it makes sense in the classroom, but he didn't intend it for that at all. And so then when you take it out of the idea or the context of time that we're scaffolding for this period of time to get from point A to point B, it makes a lot of sense with what we're talking about. You latched on, Jen, to a teachable moment. 
he may not have been ready for that moment when he did a research paper freshman or sophomore year. And that's okay, because maybe that time brought him to your place. And so we think about like, I failed this kid, or this student didn't fill out this graphic organizer or whatever, but maybe it was a moment that will lead him to a greater moment at another time. And I think that's why it's important to make research and information literacy seem less overwhelming for teachers. I, I wish that we could look at some more of those smaller moments. I often, when I try to get a chance to talk to teachers, talk about, like, what can you do in five minutes to teach information literacy? What can you do in 15 minutes? I mean, like, it, it's so simple to incorporate some of those small lessons. Hey, guys, everyone take out your Chromebooks. Who can find me the most credible article on this, our topic? Then let's look at it and kind of guide our way into today. I mean, like, there's such easy, small ways that we can do that that create students with the experience that they need when they get to that big project to be able to have that perseverance and stamina and skills to get through it. I think sometimes where we saw our, our lower level students was that this was the first time they were being asked to do most of these skills. So now when you have all of these skills that are kind of new and you're asking them to do a project that lasts four to six weeks, that's a lot. That's And then you look at the grading part. I mean, obviously, then it's a huge part of your grade. And so if we could take some of those skills and have it so that the junior year is not the first time they're interacting with it, we're going to have a totally different experience. Then we can take more risk with opening it up, letting them follow their passions more. I think then, too, teachers would know that students are going to be safe in that process. Right. Um, I just, I, I said it before, but, you know, we're very well-intentioned. We want our students to have um, a successful project in the end. Mm -hmm. And when they don't have a lot of the skills that they need to complete the long-term project, it's very scary for teachers to just let their kids go. Right. So, right. you know, if we were more intentional, perhaps freshman and sophomore year about teaching those first skills you need, perhaps junior teachers would feel a little better about letting them go. Well, well there's think, a lot of obstacles, you know, I think one of the things, too, is that like it's a habit of mind. Like if from the beginning of your class freshman year, the, the habits are we're going to take these minutes to do these things. We're going to let you research. We're going to build those skills forward. It's not something different. It's not something new. It's not something scary. It's just part of what we do here. Same right. thing with using Schoology. If from the minute they walk in, the habits are to go to Schoology to do these things, to, you know, and, like, then it's not a new thing that we're asking you to do. It just becomes that habit. So, like, what are some of those kind of key habits that we want the kids to get into so that it doesn't seem like new and different and scary. It's just, well, this is what we do here. This is what we value here is putting you in this opportunity to research, to find, to evaluate, to think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and even like when we look at like some of the, the issues, you know, can the kids even use the library resources? Like that's a problem for them, you know? Or do they know that you leave the English classroom to do those types of things. True. You know, like, I think that's something also really unique about research is that um, you can go anywhere to do it. Right. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And that is both scary and exhilarating. Mm -hmm. Very true. Yeah. I think we also, you know, one of the other obstacles that I kind of come across a lot of times is even like perception differences among teachers and staff themselves, you know, um, 
what do we use? You know, when we look at like credible sources, are we always modeling for them the best information literacy skills? Are we sharing our sources? You know, how many times are we using something appropriately through fair use, you know, but then not telling the students that that's what we're doing? You know, we're, you know, assuming off, you know, that we are the authors of that and not demonstrating to them how easy it is and how responsible it is to share that information. You know, there's a lot of those instances where I think there's like small areas of modeling that could also be done. And I, I as when I was in the classroom, I was not the best at that. There's no way I put a citation on every single document that I put out that I use something. I know I didn't. Um, but at the same time, could we all be better at that habit, like you were saying? Well, and I, do we all know how to? Like, right. As, like, honestly, like from my standpoint, like I don't know if my information literacy skills are super solid. Like, I mean, I grew up back in the day when everybody got a textbook and you read the textbook and that was your only source of information going through your courses. And like, yeah, I've had to do research papers and whatever else, but that was two decades ago. Like, things have changed, and it's like, I feel like my own skills are lacking, and so sometimes that might be why I avoided doing those kinds of things or didn't assess or didn't hold kids accountable or couldn't model, mm-hmm. like, that kind of stuff. So how do we we become better at that? Well, and I know it's a struggle, too. Like, I understand, again, like, if the purpose of my assignment is not information literacy. The goals and the objectives of what I'm doing is not information literacy. It's really easy to overlook that then, to say like, well, that's not what I'm focusing on now, so I'm not going to worry about it. But at the same time, then we're modeling a behavior that the kids are going to then adopt themselves. You know what I mean? Like if we, if we as a staff can work on showing them that it's just a, it's a small thing, but then they're going to see it as normal. So what can you do to help our staff here? Like, what are some of the things or what are some of the things that we can do, like, in conjunction with you and and your role here to become better at that? You know, my main goal is to, first of all, to get in as many classrooms as I can, even if it's just, and it's not me personally in the classroom, but if I could have conversations with teachers individually to talk about moments where they could be incorporating some of those skills that's ideal but in a bigger scale too I know I met with the English department last year to talk about kind of how to start vertically aligning some of those research skills so that as freshmen teachers are starting to develop their curriculum they can kind of commit to taking some of those skills as part of their curriculum and incorporated it in. So by the time they get to be juniors and seniors and they're leaving, that they have those skills that they need. Ideally, I would love to get into more departments to do that. We should be talking to science and history and foreign language and fine arts and things like that to talk about where there's moments in their curriculum to build on some of those skills. Because it's truly one of those skills that every single class in the building could uses in some way. I mean, from wood shop to art to science, they all use and are looking up information in some way. Well, I think the key is it's not doing more, it's doing better. Correct. It's taking something that we're already doing and just highlighting those moments where the information literacy component is is there. I mean, as the chair of English, I didn't realize how many facets there are in the process Mm -hmm. and how when broken down, it becomes so manageable. You know, like Jen mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, you can teach a piece of informational literacy in five minutes as a Mm -hmm. warm up. Right. And if you know, as a freshman teacher, you're taking a small piece of a really big puzzle 
that makes you feel less overwhelmed, and it certainly makes those junior English teachers feel less overwhelmed when the whole puzzle comes together. And it can be fun, too. I often think about, like, how, you know how people do, like, grammar misspelling boards? Like, why not have, like, a, like, a fake, fake news. news board? You know what I mean? Like, this mm-hmm. is, they have, there's websites you can go to just yeah. find all of that stuff. But, I mean, they're fun sometimes to look at, like, look at how this story was and look what it came from. You know, yeah. it's it's kind of interesting. Or a horribly, horribly labeled graph. Oh, you know, like, what do you yeah. think this data means? <laughs> yeah. Like, just goofiness. I mean, like, the kids yeah. enjoy that. Too. And they, they need to have fun. They need to experience it. Because realistically, it, it's... I, I just when I think about the amount of information that we have th- these days compared to what it was like when we were a kid, it's overwhelming. And I don't know what I would do if I didn't have the understanding to be able to critically think about the information that I see. It just I think our takeaway though is that while it's overwhelming, it also should be exciting. Yes, researching has never been more convenient than it is in two thousand nineteen. And if we can help students sort that information quickly and with ease and confidence, mm-hmm. then we're winning. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. We hope you join us for future episodes where we tackle some real messy questions and other educational topics. You can visit our Real Messy website for additional resources or to submit questions and topics for future episodes. Thanks. <laughs>